I love football. I love football, and uh, I'm a football junkie. I, I'm the guy that's going to watch, you know, Division three schools play football at 11 o'clock on ESPN because there's nothing else on, right? Uh, and I don't watch TV. I really only watch sports. It's the only thing that I, 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 you know, you ask me about actors, I don't know them. You ask me about sitcoms, I haven't watched them by and large. I just watch Sports. That's why I'm a football guy. I coached football for a number of years, just a little league. I coached 11 and 12 year olds, kind of the highest league of 11, 12 year olds, you know, whatever it is, the youth league. And for a number of years before I had kids. And then when I, we had Josiah, I changed and started coaching at the middle school level because uh, it was better for our family. But I loved it, you know, and I uh, uh, love how it shapes young men. I love uh, just, uh, just the competitiveness of it. And you don't know anything about football there's you know there's a halftime which at the middle of the game you stop you take a break and uh, you begin to make adjustments you know uh, there are the things you did well you want to keep doing those things well there's things in the game that you are doing poorly and you want to try to adjust and change and make them better and then what you do at the end of basically every halftime and sometimes this happens before too but you kind of give this you know just an inspirational hip hip hooray let's go get them you know go hard or go home kind of speech and and, and to, to rally your guys up for me it was 13 year olds like come on 13 year olds you know, rally your 13 year olds up to go and storm the second half and win the game and uh and and, and so you've seen these in movies you know you, you've watched blindside and whatever else and you, you've seen these things uh, I feel like in our text, that's kind of what Paul's doing. Paul's gathering up a bunch of pastors and, and elders, shepherds of churches. He's gathering them together, and he's kind of saying, guys, we can fight the good fight. Here's how you do it. And giving them strategies on what godly leadership actually looks like and how they're to implement that in their churches. How they're to see in him all the things that God has done and then implement that in their own context, in their own churches. So, so Paul is kind of rallying them together, giving this kind of halftime speech to say, keep going, keep fighting, fight the good fight to the end. This is a real issue, I think, in, in cultural Christianity, <coughs> in modern-day American Christianity. So often, we start well, but we don't finish well. We, we, the, we play the first half great. Well, we were awesome. We, you know, we, we served. We were church. And then in the back half, we just kind of, we either we get hurt, we get wounded, we get bitter, and we sit on the bench. And, uh, and, and I think what Paul would say to us is, no, 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 keep what is Important, important, fight the good fight, walk the way of godly, as a, as a godly leader. Uh, you know, <clears throat> just as a word of edification of this church, I'm just so thankful for this church uh, for a number of reasons. A, let me say, let me preface, we are not a perfect church by any means. If you're looking for that, you found the wrong place, and you maybe keep looking, but you're not going to find it. We're not a perfect church, but we're a really good church. And, um, and I say that because... I was really encouraged, you know, I, I was really hurting for another pastor friend of mine, brother, friend of mine in our area that is really experiencing just nastiness, man. I mean, it, uh, it's just, just bureaucratic, political nonsense. And I say that to say, just a word of edification and encouragement to you, I love that we keep the main thing the main thing here. And, and if you're a guest here and you're like, what is this church really about? What's behind the scenes? What, you, know, th you know, this would be the time to where I could low-key bash a bunch of people. I have nobody to bash. 
uh, it is truly, in my opinion, uh, uh, a healthy church. I'm an encouraged pastor uh, to, to pastor and shepherd a group of people who take God seriously and, and who want God to be honored, the name of Christ to be exalted. And, and it is a great joy for me, not a burden, a great joy for me to pastor this place. And so I just say, I just want to say thank you uh, for, for taking God seriously, for doing those things, because not every church is like that. I know that. I admit that. You know, I'm an idealist by nature anyway. And so, so you know, I kind of I, I, I go. So I, I, I'm very encouraged by what God is doing and continuing to do uh, in this place. I, I love it. I, I, again, I, I say that because what Paul is doing is he's, he's, he didn't want these pastors to flame out. He didn't want them to give up. And he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to fight the good fight regardless of what happened, and, and, and he wanted them to finish strong. So many quit halfway through, and uh, he's saying, man, keep going. Keep fighting the fight. Get to the finish line, right? He didn't, and he didn't want them just to limp to the end. He wanted them to finish strong. He, he wanted them to be godly leaders, and, and, uh, and, and, and I, talk, I, I encourage you before because I've talked with pastors that are, men just beat up. They're discouraged. Um, they're hurting. Because they love the church, and it's hard for them. It's difficult. I love that we keep the main thing the main thing. I, I love that we don't get bogged down by a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter that's going to burn up in the end. I, I praise the Lord for it, and I pray that he would keep us in that, that he would keep us in that um, thing. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, let's go on. Verse, uh, I want to read. I want to start the text in verse 17. And uh, I'm going to stop at verse 20. And what we're going to see is we're really going to see what does it look like to be a godly leader, what are the attributes of a godly leader. And, and, and yes, this is written to pastors and elders, but there's a huge portion of it, if not all of it, applicable to you. And uh, I think we can glean a lot for how to walk in our lives as godly leaders, okay? Uh, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, said to the, uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. All right, let me stop there for a minute. First attribute that we see about godly leaders is that godly leaders pour themselves out. Godly leaders pour themselves out. Uh, Paul is, is wrapping up his third missionary journey. He's heading uh, to Jerusalem, and he wants to get there before Pentecost, but he wants to, 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 to encourage these pastors in Ephesus, but he knows he, 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 he knows he can't get there in time and get to, to Jerusalem before Pentecost. So he calls them to meet him in Miletus, which is about 30 miles south, and he gathers them up. And, and begins to uh, in, encourage the, these elders. And elders, pastor, shepherd, bishop, overseers, th those words in the scripture are all synonymous with one another. Um, and, uh, and so there, there's no doubt then that these men are the men that Paul trained up likely for, for two years in, uh, in Tyrannus. And, 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 and so these are guys he's already invested in. He's, he, he's discipled them and he has sent them out in to, to pastor and shepherd churches now he's gathering them back together to kind of refuel them to re-encourage them to to to, to give them that halftime speech to fight the good fight to to, to finish the race and um, and one of the things you know about the early church and, and that 
It was, it was expanding. It was, it was growing. It was, it was, it, we were, they were seeing converts like crazy. We see that through Acts. But, but by and large, how it was happening was not just by addition, not by, hey, you come in here and now you're saved, but now it's transitioned to being a, a multiplication effort, and that's happening through discipleship. So what you have is Paul has taught these men, Timothy, these other pastors, he's, he's taught these men. These men are now passing on the truths of the gospel, the truth of, of God's word to faithful men, to faithful brothers and sisters, and continuing to make disciples. And so the gospel is spreading like crazy because it's not just... Um, how many people can I gather in a room to hear the gospel? It's I'm grabbing guys, and I'm, I'm not just making converts. I'm making disciples out of individuals, and then they're going and reproducing and making disciples out of individuals. And so the gospel is multiplying. It's not just adding to. It's multiplying because real disciples are making real disciples. Uh, this is what we want to fight for in the church, in the American church. We've seen the, the kind of the stagnation of the American church. It's because the gospel has changed from, the gospel hasn't changed. The strategy for spreading the gospel has changed from um, this idea of discipleship. Let me grab guys, raise you up as disciples. Now you go grab the same amount of guys or, or a number of guys, make disciples and multiplying to, hey, just come and see. Come and hear some music. Come and hear a sermon. If you get discipled, great. If you don't, uh, we'll get you next time. And that's kind of been the strategy of disciple making in, in, in our culture, in our context, in, our, in the American church anyway. And, uh, and, and so that, that wasn't the case for the New Testament church. It was, it was going like crazy because they weren't, just, they weren't just consuming a bunch of stuff and sitting. They were being discipled, then they were turning around and making disciples, and that's what faithful disciples do. Faithful disciples make disciples. Legit disciples make disciples. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten the chance to go to Israel. I hope that we get to do that at some point. I, I think it's very edifying for believers to take a trip to, to Jerusalem and to Israel and uh, and uh, it, it's very good. But, uh, but I got an opportunity to go, and, and outside of Jericho, you would visit the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea, it's connect, you have the Sea of Galilee linking into the, the Jordan River going into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it. There's such a salt concentration of the Dead Sea that it kills everything in it. Um, and the, matter of fact, the Jordan River flows into it six and a half million tons of water every day and... It just evaporates into this deadness. It just it, it is it is taking in live water and it just kills it. Nothing comes out. Nothing gets out of the Dead Sea. Now it's a cool place because uh, you go in there and you you bob like an apple. Like it's so salt concentrated. You know, for me, I don't know how you swim. When, you know, some of you can float on your back. If I had to do that to live, I would die. Um, I sink like a rock. I can't get my, I, I can get my head, but the, the lower half of me just drops like a rock. I can't do it. But in the Dead Sea, I'm up there. I'm like, yeah, this is great. You can't die. It's awesome. You float forever. And you don't need like water wings. It's awesome. And so you're in the Dead Sea. You're just floating because it's such a high salt concentration. I think this is what happens to a lot of believers. So much comes into you. It's alive. It's good. It's discipleship. It's content. And you consume it. You take it in. You're encouraged by it. You're edified by it. And it just dies with you. It goes nowhere. 
It, it, it comes in, you, you, yes, this is great. Give me more of this. Give me more Bible study. Give me more Sunday school class. Give me more preaching. Give me more of this. Give me more of this. And it just dies. It goes nowhere with you. You're not passing it on to the next generation. You're not passing it on to your neighbor. You're not making disciples of anyone. It just dies with you. You are a dead sea when it comes to discipleship. But I don't think that's the picture that Christ gives us of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. He, he matter of fact, gave us the commandment to go and make disciples of all nations. You have the commandment not to just consume, 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 but also to say, okay, now how do I use this to advance the kingdom and to make disciples? Um, this, you know, you, one of the ways that you know that you're walking in obedience to this is is your own personal devotional time and you sitting in classes or under sermons is sometimes difficult for you because you begin to transition to all right how now can i use this to help teach someone else uh and and then for me all the time i have to say okay david stop this is for you first right you have to you know let it settle in my heart first right uh but but this is one of the struggles that you might have but we should constantly be, look, constantly be looking to, okay, I've benefited from all these things that I've consumed. Now, how can I pour them out? How can I be utilized? And, and part of that is a cultural, uh, what I would say, just, just a, 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 a tragedy in the church in that um, so often we don't take advantage of the generations that have gone before us with the wealth of knowledge, the scriptural knowledge, life experience knowledge that they have and 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 we kind of isolate individuals based on age or affinities and we say hey you stay in your corner i'll stay in my corner and that's kind of the extent of it instead of coming together and saying man i I have a lot to learn from you i have a lot to learn and we we all are young at some point and think we know it all right and we don't need older generations but 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 i think that the the um, and some people are, are wise because they're older. Some people are young and they're wise. And we have a lot to glean from one another. Um, and, and we have the responsibility to continue to make disciples. We should be growing in, in, in how we understand the Lord and how we walk in obedience to him and sharing that with, with, with under, uh, other individuals, not being a dead sea. Now, um, you know, another thing about Paul here that I think is important is he's saying, look at my life. He says, look at my life. You've seen me. You've seen how I've walked with God. You've seen how my character has been, my godly character. Follow me as I follow Christ. Um, I think you, as a believer, should be able to say this. I think you should be living a life in such a way before the Lord that you should be able to say to whomever, whomever you are discipling, follow me as I follow Christ. You're not perfect by any means. Neither was Paul. But you should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. If you would follow the way that I'm living my life, you're going to worship and exalt Jesus as he should be worshiped and exalted. Now, that's bold. And, now, and we live in a culture where we have this kind of, I think that's a wrong humility of saying, no, don't look at me, just look at Jesus, don't look at me, don't look at Jesus. But I think the example that we have set before us is, I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm going to disciple a, a, a young individual and say, hey, watch my life do that and 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 you'll you'll worship jesus because i'm worshiping jesus right and so you should be living a life now 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 what we're going to see in this is that a godly leader has godly character has godly character one of the things you see in paul is he's humble 
He has a humility about him. Matter of fact, he, he says uh, that he's serving the Lord in all humility. This word servant, serving, comes from the Greek word doulos, which is servant or slave. But he's a bond servant to Christ. Jesus is the master. He's the Lord. Paul's saying, I'm doing whatever my Lord tells me to do. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's heading to Jerusalem, which we're going to see in a moment, where he knows he's going to be afflicted. He knows he's going to be persecuted. But he says, I follow the Lord. I'm the servant. I'm, I'm a servant of his. So, so uh, a godly character is one that is humble. Second one, godly character is one that is concerned with other people's godliness. Godly individuals care that other people are godly. And I want to say this as clear as I can. I mean, ungodliness is to not care about other people's godliness. <laughs> you, you only care to maybe be right, or you, only, you just don't give a rip about other people uh, and how they worship the Lord. But godly character is someone who genuinely has compassion and empathy and cares for someone else's godliness. You see this in Paul. He says, you know, he's talking about these words that come with tears. Later in, in verse 31, he, he's admonishing the elders with tears. They're, they're, they're having a leaving. He's, he's leaving, and they're, they're, they're weeping together because they know they're not going to see one another, and Paul cares for them. He loves them. He wants them to, to fight the good fight of faith. He wants them to grow in godliness. He wants them to pastor and shepherd churches faithfully. He cares for them. He loves them. This should be the same demeanor a godly leader among us takes. Like, we, we we can't just say, hey, I've taught something. If you didn't get it, it's your fault. No. No, we, we should care that someone not, not just gets it, but, but lives it. And when they don't, when they reject it, that it, that it breaks our heart. That we we want to see some. I'm not just coming up here to hear myself speak. I want you to hear the word of God. I want you to be transformed by the word of God. I want you to walk as godly husbands and fathers and, and, and mothers and wives and grandparents. I want, I want you to walk according to God's way. I want you to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It, it would grieve me for you to walk out here and say, I don't give a rip about any of that. And it should grieve every godly leader that we're not so prideful that we just say, well, I said it, they didn't get it, it's on them, it's their fault. But it, we should care. We should care. We're not just trying to be right. We're trying to help people see the Lord. And I think that's what Paul's doing. He, he's, he's moved to tears when, when he's hearing about Christians not walking obediently to the Lord. It moves him. Second thing in godly character is, uh, uh, you know, godly character is steadfast. You, you see, he, he, uh, Paul talks about, you talking to the Ephesian elders that they knew, that you yourselves knew. Like, they've seen Paul be steadfast in the midst of persecution. They've seen him be just uh, killed by the Jews, ridiculed by the Jews, how he responded in the middle of a riot. They've seen how the pagans have come and, 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 and cast him out of cities. They've seen what kind of character and steadfastness that Paul has endured even in the midst of great persecution and hardship. Any number of those things, we would have said, I'm out. But Paul stayed steadfast. He stayed faithful. He didn't grow bitter. I can't believe this. I'm so... He didn't grow angry. He wasn't quick-tempered. He stayed faithful. Why? Because he knows God is sovereign. He knows there's not a stone thrown at his head that didn't come by the hand of God. 
that God is not out of control of every ounce of persecution for the, for the glory of God that came his way. Jesus even said that when he said, I'm going to show him how much he's to suffer for my name's sake. So it's by the hand of God. So he, he trusts God. He's able to stay steadfast to the end. This is huge for us. A godly leader stays steadfast to the end. Now, how do they do that? They don't do that from their own will or their own pulling themselves up by the bootstrap. They do that because their feet are planted on the rock of Christ, the confession that Jesus is the Lord. And on that rock we stand. So when the storms come, we are able to stand strong, not because of our own strength, but because of the strength of the foundation in which we are planted. We are steadfast to the end. Whatever comes, whatever discouragement comes, whatever attack comes, whatever persecution comes, a godly leader is steadfast to the end. They're not wavered by the storms and the wind and the waves. They're steadfast to the end. Okay, let me read on. Uh, verse, I'm, I'm going to read verse 20 and 21, and then I'm going to skip to verse 27. I'm going to come back to the middle section uh, in a moment. Um, going back to just a little bit in 20 here. Um, Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and uh, the trials of what happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. For I did not shrink from declaring you the whole, the, the whole counsel of God. Uh, another attribute of a godly leader is the godly leader teaches the whole counsel of God's word. Teaches all of God's word. When it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to teaching the word, we, we cannot be apathetic in this. We have to stand strong on everything that God's word teaches. Paul said, I did not shrink from teaching anything, whether in public or in your homes. Um, again, he taught the whole counsel of God's word. Now, I want to say a word here for a moment because... First of all, I just want to praise the Lord. I, I, I believe we are faithful to this text. And, um, the, you know, when we, one of the beautiful things about preaching through books of the Bible the way we do it is we have to hit texts that um, maybe our flesh would rather skip over because they're hard things to teach. Um, we're able to teach through those things and teach those things in this, in this body, in this congregation. And God has kept us faithful to his word, and we pray that he would continue to keep us faithful in his word. We, 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 we resolve that we're not going to stand, but we also know our own weakness. I'm sorry, that we're not going to move from where we are on teaching the council word, but we know our own weakness. So we pray, God, keep us faithful. Keep us on the, teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Let us not sway one iota in this area. There is a movement, obviously, and, I, and it's not all bad, but there's obviously a... Uh, uh, an attractional church movement. And um, which is not, I, I don't want us to be an unattractive church. I don't want people to come in here and say, man, that, that's really, they're horrible people. I don't want to go there. Uh, but what, what attracts people is important, right? Uh, we want to be attractive in a particular way. The much of the attraction model, I think, started that way, but it quickly became 
All right, the way that we attract people is to make this feel like what is normal to them in, in every kind of way, whether it's the kind of concert feel, whether it's in our uh, you know, kind, of, kind of pop psychology messages in, in such a way where we're going to water down the truth of the gospel, we're going to water down sin, we're going to water down the cross, and we're really just going to say, hey, if you want a better life, you do this. If you want to be happier, you do this. And, and, and people will like that because Everybody wants to be happier or wealthier or healthier and encouraged. So we're going to bring everybody in and we're going to, I mean, it's going to be very attractional to them because why wouldn't they want to hear that? And that, that is a dangerous place to be. And that would be a church that doesn't teach the whole counsel of God's word. We want to be attractional in a different way. We want to be attractional in that we're teaching the whole counsel of God's word. We have such a relationship with Christ that people walk into this place and they see a people that are living a life to say, they have something I don't have. They have a joy in the Lord that I don't have. They have a joy in the midst of suffering that I don't have. They have a joy in the midst of pain and cancer and disease that I don't have. They have a water from a well that I need to drink from. And that the world would say, I want that. I need that. They have something that I am missing. And in that way, to whom God gives eyes to see, that they would see a people that have a joy in the Lord that's, that goes beyond understanding. That we can walk through pain and suffering and persecution and affliction cancer and disease and, and, and anything you can imagine and still be grounded in the joy of the Lord. That the world would see that. The hopeless world that's trying to fill every void of, the, of their own life with anything the world offers them. But they would see there's only one place to find life in Christ. And that we would continue to preach the whole counsel of God's word. Namely, the exclusivity of Christ. That there is only one way to escape the coming wrath of God. There is a wrath coming. There is a sword that is coming. And there's only one way to escape the wrath of God coming. And that is to be in the Son. By your faith and trust in him, his work on the cross accomplished that is sufficient and efficient for you. That you trust and believe in that to be your only hope. There is no other way to be right before God the Father but through God the Son. This is the whole counsel of God's Word. If you're believing in Buddhism, it will not get you to God. You, you will experience the wrath of God forever. Islam is the wrong way to be right with God. It will, you will experience the wrath of God forever. Hear me. Your own morality, your own morality, if you're depending on it for salvation, if you're, if you're depending upon your own works to make you right before God, you experience the wrath. Philanthropy will not make you right with God. You will experience the wrath of God forever. There's only one way to be right before the God, before for God the Father, and that is to be in God the Son. And it's to be in the Son. And we will preach that. And we will preach that every week. To the glory of God, that God would save sinners because they understand that they are sinners. And there's only one way to have our sin atoned for, and that is to fall on our face before the Son of God and have Him deal with it. 
to have him remove our sin from us through the blood poured out on our behalf. We will preach the whole counsel of God's word. Godly leaders do just that. Let me read on, verse 22 through 26. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Look at verse 24. Underline it if you do that. Highlight it on your screen. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you all this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. A godly leader values the mission of God over his own life. A godly leader values the mission of God even over his own life. When it comes to living on mission, when it comes to living sent, when it, when, when it comes, I mean, Paul is a great example unto us. Paul fought the good fight. He finished the race. He, he went hard his whole life to proclaim the gospel. And he, he knew he was going to be afflicted in Jerusalem. He knew he was going to be persecuted. He, he knew those things were coming, but he was constrained by the Holy Spirit to go. And he went. That means his master, the Lord Jesus, told him to go. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, hold on, that's going to be hard. That, that's, uh, you know, I'm busy. My calendar doesn't quite work out with that. I've got an appointment. No, no, he said, I'm going. I know persecution. I know affliction awaits me. I'm going anyway. And, and, and so even hardship did not stop him from going and obeying God. And, and this is important for us because um, we are his people. We are his servants. We, we, he is our master. He is our Lord. You know what servants do to their master and Lord? They say, yes. What do you want? That's what we're going to do. What do you want from us? That's how we're going to obey. That's how the relationship works. He calls us and commands us to go and, and to obey and to do the things he wants us to do, and that's what we do. Um, right now, God has put you in Palm Beach County. He's got you here. You, you know, he's set you on mission here. You, you're not just here to collect a paycheck. You're not just here to you know, uh, even support your own family. God has put you here as a missionary. And so you, you are here, and you're not arbitrarily here. You're here intentionally. And, and it's a crazy thing. Uh, we've been having these starting point classes, tons of people. Many of you have been coming to these things. So rarely is anybody actually from Florida that comes from these classes. Uh, you know, we've, we had one of our most diverse classes this last one. I think we had 23 people and one Floridian. Um, but all of you have been brought here intentionally. It's not accidental. It's not arbitrarily. God has brought you here to live on mission for his name and his glory. That's why he's brought you here. However, if God were to say to you, I want you 
to go to Brazil. I want you to go to Africa or China. I want you to quit your job and go and start a church in Ocala. I don't know which is worse, China or Africa, Ocala. I haven't even really been there. But our answer to him is yes. Here's the difficulty. We oftentimes say, I obey the Lord. I'm sold out for the Lord. Whatever you say, I'll go as long as it's in my restrictions, my parameters, my rules. So I've got certain things that you can't call me to, Lord. I'm not going to move away from my kids. I'm not going to move away from my family. I'm, I'm not going to quit this job. I'm not going to sell my house. I'm not, I'm not going to do difficult things. But we don't bargain with Jesus. We obey Jesus. And we have to be a people that come unto our Lord and say, you may not be calling me to that. You may be calling me to that. Here's what I say. My yes is on the table. You put it on the map. If it's in Palm Beach County, praise God. I will live to the glory of God every day in Palm Beach County. If it's to the ends of the earth, praise God. I will live every day to the glory of God, to the ends of the earth. Real disciples place no conditions on following Jesus. Here's Paul. Paul is saying, I know I'm about to get beaten up. I know I'm about to be persecuted. I know it's about to be hard. And matter of fact, where I want to go is I want to go to Rome. But I got to go to Jerusalem first because that's what God wants me to do. And he goes and he obeys the Lord. What are you telling the Lord no in? How are you obeying him? How are you, are you putting parameters on the Lord in, in such a way that you're not walking in obedience towards him? And, and maybe you say, well, I'll do it later. I'll do it at a different life states. Hear me. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, I want to point to verse 24 here. Uh, again, I just, I just want to read it again because it's so strong. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Is the mission more important than even your own life? Heck, is, is the mission even more important than our own comfort? T take our life off the table. Is it more important than our own comfort? Do, do we, we should live such radical lives that the world goes, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That makes no sense. Why are you giving that way? Why are you serving? This doesn't make why are you Why are you not accumulating more and more and more and more? Why are you raising your children that way? Why do you share the gospel every time you go out to eat? The world should look at our lives and be like, man, something is up with that. So, something is radically different about them. The sad part is, I need to call many of us to live radically shocking lives to many in the church. I, I remember, I, I've told you this before, but when we went to Thailand, uh, 
we were, we were moving there. My son was going to be 15 months old when we eventually moved there. So he was just a baby. I mean, just a baby. And, uh, you know, we've got all, why are you going there? Um, there, there uh, why are you going to, to, to share the gospel there when there's so many lost people here? Why are you taking your boy away from his grandparents? Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Oh, 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 you, you know, you, you have such a great ministry here. Why are you going? Why, why don't you stay here and do something here, plant a church here? Why don't you do? You know why? Because God said to. God said to. And as his servant, our answer is yes to whatever he calls us to. Now, some of you are living such stagnant lives that you're not even hearing God give you anything. You're not walking in obedience in any way. You're, you're, you, know, you need to pick up your Bible and start reading and hearing from the Lord. But when you do, our answer is yes. As radical disciples who want to make radical disciples, our answer to the Lord is yes. Is yes. Now, Paul here, he, he's challenging them. And, and then I want to I point to verse 26. He says, I am innocent of their blood. I'm innocent of their blood. What Paul's alluding to here is really from Ezekiel 33, where God says he's bringing a sword upon the land, and the, the, the watchman knows that the sword is coming. If the watchman warns the people, hey, the judgment of the Lord is on its way, the sword of the Lord is coming, and, and, and they listen or don't listen it doesn't matter then the, their blood if they don't listen then their blood is on their own heads but if that watchman knows the sword of the wrath of god is coming and he doesn't warn the people then their blood is on his head so paul is saying i am innocent of blood because i have been a watchman on the wall proclaiming the gospel for all to hear church we are watchmen we have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to herald the good news that God saves sinners, and to tell them that the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming on sin. The only refuge is in Christ. The wrath of God is coming. It's stronger than a cat five that shutter windows won't save you from. The wrath of God is coming. There's only one way to be protected. It's in Christ. And let me put all this together for you. God has saved us not to just sit and be a dead sea and do nothing. He saved us to proclaim the gospel, to be watchmen on the wall, to herald the good news, and not in a... Uh, a, a, a cold heartless way but in a caring way that wants to see sinners repent that we shed tears over believers that don't walk in obedience that we actually care for the souls and godliness of others and that we wouldn't just be facebook evangelists but that we would actually make disciples that some of you older women would gather around you younger women and make disciples of younger women some of you men will gather around you, younger men, and make disciples of men. That some of us would pour out into the next generation of this church, whether it's college ministry to the cradle, 
And we make disciples, faithful disciples of the generation that will be leading this church in just a few short years. How are we doing these things? How are we living a life that is shocking to the world in our obedience unto the Lord? How are we being watchmen on the wall? I, I told you a little bit about John Patton a couple weeks ago. I want to tell you a little bit more about him. Maybe it's because he's Scottish is why I like him. Uh, he was born in Scotland in 1824, and um, he, he was saved early. And, uh, and got, got early in his age, I mean, he was working in this inner city mission, and God was calling him. Uh, two, two missions. He felt that in his life. And, uh, and, and there was this movement simultaneously going on in the New Hebrides Islands. And the, the first missionaries that went to the New Hebrides Islands, they were clubbed to death, they were cooked, and then they were eaten to the glory of God. Ten years later, more missionaries went to a different part of the island and actually started seeing some come to Christ. Matter of fact, to the tune of 3,500 Believers were coming to Christ and they needed help. So they're calling out to Scotland to say, we need Bible-trained individuals to come and help us, to come and help us to, 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 to shepherd, pastor churches, to come and help us with the mission that we, we've got going here. Would you come? And Patton said, this is what God has called me to do. This is what God has called me to do. And uh, the, the opposition that he tells about that, that, that came upon him you know Patton you've got a great ministry here why would you leave it leave it why 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 would you go halfway around the world to minister and to the savages where there's plenty of people that need Christ here why would you why would you do something so out outlandish like that and then there was one particular one that really stuck out to me there was a man named Dixon one Christian older man named Dixon who told him he said Patton you're going to be eaten if you go there and I love Patton's response. He says this, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years, and it won't be long until you're laying in the, lying in the grave being eaten by worms. So if I live serving Jesus, and if I die serving Jesus, it'll make no difference whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. Church, we have a responsibility to live boldly for the Lord. Everything that we're trying to build up here, if it's not kingdom, it's going to be burned up in the end. My plea with you, my greatest care for us all, myself included, is that we would not waste our lives on trivialities and trinkets that our lives would actually count for kingdom things, that we would not get bogged down in the things that don't matter, but that we would lay aside the things that so easily entangle and run the race that God has set out before us, that we would fight the good fight and finish the race so that each one of us, each one of us can stand before the Lord and have him say over us, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master let's pray together father
we need providential help with our weakness. We have grown so accustomed to comfort that it's hard to shed. And maybe we've grown so, uh, I don't know, just our, our, our ears have become so blocked by the messages of the world that we can't even hear what you're calling us to obey in. I pray, Father, for a renewal among the believers of this church. And that you would begin to, through, through your word, show us the ways in which you want us to make disciples in the land that you've put us. Or maybe you're calling us to go, or to give, or to sacrifice, or to serve. Would you just make that clear, what you want us to do, Lord? And may we walk in obedience. Give us the courage to walk in obedience to the desire of our master. If you say go, we say yes. Give us the courage to do that, just that. Lord, I pray for the non-believer, the one in this room, watching online, who, I don't know, maybe, maybe they... They think all road, roads lead to God or they, they, they're trusting in their own decency or their own morality and they haven't ever had their sin dealt with. So they, the wrath of God remains on them. I pray that this morning that they would find refuge in Christ. That they would come and be saved. That they would confess call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, we love you and we, we want to continue to be a church that walks in obedience to you, both in preaching the whole counsel of your word, but also living lives that are radically obedient to all that you've called us to. Move in power in us, God. And may Palm Beach County take notice at the joy we have in the Lord. And our obedience is not burdensome. It is our greatest delight to be used of God for the advancement of the kingdom of God. There is no greater joy. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, I want to encourage you.